Wendy, light of my life. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. episode of straight to series special and spooky episode. special and spooky episode 24 and uh, the shining episode oh. uh, my name is connor i mean and welcome please check us out on soundcloud uh, instagram, instagram everything. Spotify, spotify youtube Facebook. check like that all out but yeah so because it's we're in shocktober we sure are spook spook Spook, spooky time, spooktacular. We're uh, we're we're going to do a special themed episode. Yes. For this Halloween, uh, if you haven't guessed already, if you haven't guessed already, already, <laughs> the door's that way. Yeah, already we're doing the shining, and the door leads to nowhere. Yeah, because door, we're doing the shining. Because we're doing the shining. Door makes no sense. No, makes no sense. Um, and that will that will make sense in a while. Come back. We you may have spotted our very uh, slight teaser last week. Remember, we, we teased it very slightly, <laughs> slightly, real subtly. I think it went over. We're most, doing the shining. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it went over a lot of people's heads. But <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but yeah, we're gonna do the shining. Uh, it's a movie we both love. Uh, we kind of almost regret it because just like the movie, it's an absolute maze. Yeah, it really is. The research, it just, yeah. it's ongoing. Like it, it's, it's just never ending. Ian got so into this movie, I'm convinced he could tell me the family trees of every single person who worked on this film. <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah. Yeah, I got a bit deep that yeah. way. So, he, yeah. kept, he kept, he'd be saying, and you know what this person did next? And then do you know who they're married to and who's the relation? And it's yeah, just, I got to, I'm in too deep. Yeah, you're in too deep. You're just like, like the, the maze, the yeah, hedge maze. The hedge maze that isn't in the book Ooh, <gasps> teasers for later no um yeah so if you've never heard of the shining it's a movie an absolute classic of a mu- movie a classic not that everyone thought that when it first came out no, no in 1980 1980 people did not like this movie when it first came out we should we should set it up so stanley yeah. kubrick yeah stanley kubrick's the director who is just an enigma of a guy yeah if you've never again if you've never as if you've never heard of stanley kubrick or the shining if you're listening to this podcast 2001 space odyssey 2001 space odyssey clockwork orange clockwork orange and um, eyes full wide metal, shut full, eyes me- full metal jacket um he was barry linden was not the, the that's film? the failure that was yeah. the, that was the, f- the film he did before that it just was, before the shining it was a period piece and then it wasn't it wasn't received well i think i think the thing i heard about it was it's a beautifully shot film yes not a very I, good one yeah loads of zooms he like yeah. revolutionized z- zooms yeah it's, it's which is pretty cool to hear but it's over three hours long yeah and it made no money so warner brothers weren't too happy they were not so he needed a win he needed a win and big that, time and that win was meant to be the shining basically and, and it was it was yeah. it was eventually eventually yeah 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 so nicholas cage oh, nicholas cage nicholas that, cage he could he could give it a good go he jesus could. christ if you took what you thought over jack nicholson was overacting wait until you get nicholas cage in there <laughs> nicholas cage oh, that i'm been not amazing. gonna hurt you yeah <laughs> ghost rider so jack nicholson <laughs> jack nicholson yeah shelly duval shelly duval daniel lloyd Daniel Lloyd, the five-year-old, the, the five-year-old, who's amazing. He is playing Danny in the in the movie, and then there's a myriad of other actors playing, yeah. you know, smaller roles. Those guys, yeah, those other people. But um, 
That's the Torrance family, though. The Torrance family. It's based around the Torrance family who go and agree to look after the Overlook Hotel during the winter time. Yeah, for five months of F- solitude. Five months of solitude in the winter. Yeah. And uh, chaos ensues. Chaos ensues. <laughs> is it all in his head? Are there ghosts in the hotel? Why is the son crazy? Is it just an imaginary friend? Does the hotel consume him? Does the ho- Was he always at the hotel? Did he ever lose the, leave the hotel? Is it a loop? Is it a loop? These questions will not be answered, sadly. They never will. They never <laughs> but will. But we'll you... talk about what... We'll talk about theories and yeah. what we think. But, uh, how, like, in terms of... Just to get into more background, the box office of this movie. Yeah, sadly, you can only find out the domestic box office numbers and not yeah. worldwide. But it is viewed as a win. Mm-hmm. So it cost $19 million to make in 1980. So I guess that would be a, a hefty budget for a horror movie totally. back then. Yeah. Sure, does movies get made for, like, $5 million and $10 million now? Yeah. Uh, Blumhouse or Blumhouse Blumhouse yeah. yeah it took a year to film it was only meant to be done in six months <laughs> it's crazy yeah the uh, the guy who invented the Steadicam yeah he worked on it he worked on it and he was he had to miss dates for Rocky 2 because the filming of this movie took uh, by by six months time which is when he was supposed to stop yeah he was uh, uh, he was assured that it will not go longer than six months to yeah. shoot and at six months less than half the movie was filmed yeah so that says a lot and they were rewriting scripts for this movie on the fly, on the set. You know, daily, daily, daily. They got to color coordinate them, yeah. So that if Kubrick walked around and he saw someone with a color with a, a different color sketch, yeah, you're oh, you're on the pink script. No, we're on the yellow now. Yeah, that's the most up to date version. Yeah, it's crazy. And there's even set photos of like we'll get into this later, but elements that are just dropped from the film entirely. Yeah, it's uh, it's really crazy. When you film for a year, it's gonna be. Loads of totally. loads of scenes on the cutting room floor. Like I'm surprised they didn't actually kill each other on the set. <laughs> well, mm. Shelley Duval came close. She did. She did. Um, Let me have a look. Actually, how much it made? Yeah, let's get an exact number for it. So it made 44 million in North America. Okay. On a 19 million budget, but it also obviously came out worldwide. Yeah. And it did well worldwide. Yeah. But it, I can't find out the numbers because it was 1980, and mm-hmm. I looked it, it up, and I really cannot get even an estimate. But either way, Warner Brothers were happy. Yeah. I'm sure they're happy with merchandise now totally. and, and just DVD sales. Oh my God, the cultural impact of The Shining is insane. It lives on. Yeah, it really does. Despite the fact that when it first came out, we were touching on this earlier, Shelley Duvall won a Razzie for her performance in this well, movie. she didn't even she, win oh, she one. She was nominated, sorry. She wasn't bad enough, but she was close. She was close. So she got nominated for a Razzie mm-hmm. and so did Stanley Kubrick for Worst Director. Now, I understand, like Shelley Duvall, there's certain things about her about her performance that I say more so now yeah. looks a bit hammy. Yeah. And she just looks a little over-fragile yeah, in a way. exactly. But I would say... Like, even back then, everyone was like, it's visually spellbinding. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how you could say that he, he could be up for a Razzie. Now, he didn't win, but it was also the first ever Razzie Award. Yeah, started in 1980. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Crazy. And you imagine all the wonderful movies that have won Razzies since then. You yeah. Know? I looked at who's the current holder of Worst Actress. Who? Melissa McCartney. Oh, for which movie? A Happy Time oh, Murders. Oh, Happy Time Murders. Yeah. I saw that on Netflix. I was going to watch it. Me also. Maybe not now, though. <laughs> I actually was going, yeah, ah, I'll give yeah. that a go. I did the exact same thing. I was scrolling through and I was like, I, 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 I might do it. I might yeah. do it. And then I saw The Laundromat and I was like, okay, I'll watch that I'll instead. watch that instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I can't wait to watch Dolomite, but we'll be getting into that at some stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, like... 
you know, we've done the Predator podcast before, as you may have seen. You know, which was so much fun. So much fun. This is a lot bleaker. This is a lot bleaker episode, but it's an absolute mindfuck as it, well. It's a movie that has enraptured us in a very similar way. You know, yeah, e- even more so. Like honestly, I am, I'm just locked in a maze after yeah. watching this, and just the further I went, and the more like the more answers I seeked, the yeah. more questions has just appeared. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually, I less, I know less. <laughs> I know the more less. I know, the less I actually know. You it's know, crazy. It's like. This this movie is haunted like the Overlook Hotel. Or is it haunted? Is it all in Ian's mind? <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Does it exist? Does it exist? Are we watching the same movie? No, but um I mean getting into the background and making this movie. Yeah. Um like Stanley Kubrick, you know, he's this visionary director. He was a he was a professional chess player for a while, wasn't he? He made yeah, he made money out of playing chess. Yeah. That's how intelligent this guy was. Apparently he has a two hundred IQ. Apparently, I heard that somewhere. But and he was also um, a still photographer for a yeah. long time. And a lot of people, I watched loads of interviews, and loads mm-hmm. of like the people that worked on the set was like he was so technically minded. It was yeah. amazing. Like it was just amazing. Like he, so one of the guys, I can't remember who it is, but mm-hmm. he says, "Excuse me, <laughs> I drank so much Monster." Yeah. Uh, one of the guys that is working with him, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the ca- camera operators, says that he would be the world's best cinematographer if he wasn't the world's best director. Oh, Honestly. Wow, what a... His knowledge of uh, of lighting mm-hmm. as well, like uh, in the Colorado room, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll throw up images of that. I'm sure yeah. everyone knows what it is anyway, totally. uh, where Jack is typing away. Mm-hmm. Like all... He, kn- he knew the exact lighting that he wanted to emulate... Um, the sun bouncing off the snow and coming through the windows, you know, because mm-hmm. it needs to be super bright. And that's why it was so warm as well. Yeah. It was like a sweat box in there. Crazy. And then, like, you know, there's... When they were designing this... this They had a set, but it's also based on an actual hotel that yeah. they got Timberline for, Lodge. The Timberline Lodge. And uh, because Stanley Kubrick won't fly, hates flying, the older he got, the less he did it. Completely stopped doing it in his older yeah. age. So he had... People go in and live in that hotel for three months, take pictures of everything, and then he had he wasn't even there for the there's a famous opening shot. I'm sure you've seen it of like the helicopter helicopter going through. Stanley Kubrick wasn't there for any of that. And this guy is so meticulous. Yeah. Like this guy wants to like he would like to comb their hair almost, you know, like this guy he was obsessive yeah. to the end, but he wouldn't fly. <laughs> no, his hatred of flying <laughs> trumped, doing that. trumped his love of movie making and getting everything right which is kind of scary it is scary I wonder why he hated flying so much a man that intelligent doesn't like flying he knows something I I don't I read interviews with like friends of his Mm -hmm. that were I think softening the edges they were like oh no it's just because it it was out of uh, he was just being professional like he didn't want to I think he said there's three places in the world that you can make movies mm-hmm. LA mm-hmm. London and New York City yeah. and he thought that he didn't want to live in LA he hated LA and he thought London was better than New York City and that's why he never left London mm-hmm. I feel like that's just not true <laughs> I feel like that's them being friends yeah, you know, yeah just being friendly I mean look it's nice that his friends will stick up for him but yeah. the man had his eccentricities and he was known for them yeah he was Um, no less a genius though no exactly no. Um, but we have the initial reviews in here. You just have them up on screen there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's based on a Stephen King novel and it was only the second movie to adapt a Stephen King story before. And it was his third ever book. So yeah. this was early on. Early on King. It was released in 1977, the book itself. Well, we have it here. I can find out. When I'm pretty it was sure it's 1977. Released. 1977. Uh, I normally have to do this. Uh, 
Continue. Is there anything else you want to say while I try and find the... Uh, 1977, yep. 1977. Excellent. But, um, yeah, and uh, Kubrick bought the rights from King. Flat out so he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yes. And he did. He whatever did the whatever the fuck he wanted, basically. Uh, to the demise of King he yeah. was he, he's King not was, a happy guy King was not a happy camper about what Stanley Kubrick did to he still isn't work. a happy camper yes he still it's isn't almost 40 years later there's lots of stories about you know their behavior and everything like you told me one but I mean we're not sure of the validity of all these stories but the one you, you, you were telling me one about um, when King wanted to do his own version of it oh yes yeah. so years later well, what happened was, um, so Stanley Kubrick just bought out the whole the whole book, and initially Stephen King wrote his own screenplay yeah. for Stanley Kubrick's movie. Stanley Kubrick didn't even want to look at it; yeah. he, he didn't want to entertain that. Get that shit out of my face! Mm-hmm. And he went and got a different writer, mm-hmm. this other a woman who had who wrote a book that he really enjoyed. It was like it's like something something shadows or something. I yes, think, I think that, that's, that's, what that's it's it. Um, I'll get the. The name of the woman here, yeah, uh, uh, Diane Johnson. Diane Johnson. Diane yeah. Johnson. So I think that was a kick in the groin as well. Yeah. Because like he actually just hired another novelist to write the screenplay with him. Stanley Kubrick is quoted as saying that Stephen King's writing is weak. 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 Wow. So yeah, he wouldn't even look at uh, Stephen King's s- screenplay. And then years later, in 1997, mm-hmm. King made his own miniseries. Five-hour miniseries. It's supposed to be god off it is now accurate to the book which i have read actually i should say i have read both the shining and the sequel doctor sleep which is why we're covering all this by the way because doctor sleep is coming in yeah, yeah. A few days. you know it all links in all links and, Hollywood, in. and halloween and everything. halloween is just spooky time you know it's a great movie it's a great movie it's a, yeah. it is a great movie um but anyway so king the rumor goes yeah i hope this is true yeah and it makes sense king had to go to stanley kubrick and buy the rights back mm-hmm. or, or get the authority off him yeah. which is amazing for mm-hmm. his own book and supposedly Stanley Kubrick agreed as long as Stephen King agreed contractually <laughs> to um, not badmouth his movie love it which is very difficult amazing. for King very <laughs> yeah I, I say he's broke that contract a few times yeah. I mean there's a lot of like conflicting stories about the relationship between King and Kubrick like some people like King would say that Stanley Kubrick would call him late at night but then other people would be like Stanley Kubrick never rang Stephen King and asked him anything yeah but like the way Stephen King puts it is that like Stanley Kubrick's asking for advice yeah on the on how to adapt the movie on certain elements of it and then there's loads of friends that Stanley Kubrick says like mm, he wouldn't do that yeah he yeah. didn't do that but there was a, there's one story that King famously tells is that late at night Stanley Kubrick rang him and said um, don't you think stories of the paranormal and ghosts are actually hopeful stories in the end because it's showing that there is a life beyond in some fashion a life beyond death life beyond death and King uh, King responded with where do you think hell fits into that and Stanley Kubrick responded with I don't believe in hell I don't believe in hell I love that that does sound like Stanley Kubrick though that sounds like a Stanley Kubrick story you know he Stanley Kubrick was so intelligent mm-hmm. and so technically minded that when um, oh damn what's the name of the guy who who, who created it, the Steadicam I don't know you might have to find you have to find his name there somewhere I, I, I want to we want to yeah. shout him out because he's I do yeah yeah the guy's awesome yeah um, he is his next step, Gareth Brown Gareth Brown because Gareth Brown talks about how Stanley Kubrick helped revolutionize the Steadicam. Yeah. Like, actually, just the technology of it. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he improved it. 
Stanley Kubrick actually improved it. That's so good. And then Garrett Brown's next work after The Shining, as you were telling me, is Rocky Two. Rocky Two, and then after that, didn't he do the Steadicam for The Last Jedi? Yeah, and he famously walked through the woods with his Steadicam, filming at one frame per second to get the speedsters. Is that what speeder they're called? Speeder bikes. Yeah. The speeder bikes yeah. to get the that kind of shot of them flying through at uh, the kind of I don't know what you'd call it the Endor. pace of it like the Endor woods in the woods on Endor where the Ewoks live yeah so he just walked through woods for hours hours and hours filming out one frame per second yeah. to get that that kind of feel that they're going crazy speeds crazy I want, I'd awesome like, I need to go back and watch that scene and like see how long it is and then yeah like break it down what it would be like to do that one one frame per second oh yeah that's got to be rough. <laughs> Dedication. That's what Dedication, that is. Dedication, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, this movie is famous for loads of reasons. I mean, they used the Steadicam and the Dolly for uh, those tracking shots, isn't it? Yeah, and he also had um, a wheelchair. Yeah. And they were holding the camera because they couldn't go so low mm-hmm. when they're doing some of those tracking shots. So there's loads of times where like Kubrick or your man um, Garrett. God, Garrett Brown Garrett Brown is like sitting in a wheelchair and he's yeah. getting rolled around while he, he films them. Well, they follow um, in famous shots, you know, uh, Daniel Lloyd going around his big wheel, his big wheel. And famously, mm-hmm. it was a mistake, the sound of him going from carpet to wooden floor. Because yeah. it's, it's it's so percussive and it's it's amazing. How, it is. Also, how it re- reverberates through the whole, um, the whole big Colorado... Lodge lounge lounge Colorado lounge yeah. yeah yeah it's something on like you you can't predict it you know like it was unpredicted that that would happen but it adds so much in terms it's, of sound design it's amazing yeah it really is it's really really cool and then you were saying that like you know we we watched it just before this and I, it was actually we delayed starting the podcast because we kept getting enraptured watching this movie. I watched it earlier this morning before coming here and <laughs> even still when we put it on I was watching it you and know? I watched it yesterday yeah. I've seen this movie so many times now and every time I watch it I get something new out of it. But you were saying one thing that always sticks with you about the big wheel is that when he sits back on it at some stage he reaches behind and he pushes the wheel. It just looks odd. It looks like something the kid does himself. Yeah. Which is a strange... It's like he's getting himself started. It's kind of like a... I don't know. It's... It's it's something you don't expect to see and it's never addressed in the movie, but it's so human and kid like, you know? Yeah. It's so natural. Like yeah. the kid's so good in front of the camera. He's amazing. And he never did any acting work really afterwards except And on TV. that was his first as that, well. That was his first, yeah, as a five year old. Supposedly f- approximately four thousand kids auditioned. they interviewed and auditioned. Crazy. Oh, we should mention this while we're talking about him auditioning. Yeah. Is the finger? Yeah. Tony. Red Ram. Red Ram. Red Ram. That was Daniel Lloyd's idea. creation. He just did it in his first audition. So good. So good. I mean, this movie is endlessly quotable. Like, even if you haven't seen the movie, I'd say you know parts of The Shining just of course. from media and everything. But yeah, Daniel Lloyd's performance throughout this movie is just amazing. Like, I can't shout that out enough. He's uh, he's great. And they had to... They didn't, they didn't know he was filming a horror movie and he never got to see it until he was 16. Yeah, they tricked him and said it was a drama. Now... We were watching some of his performances and mm-hmm. when he's screaming and he's got his hands over his face, like, what sort of drama did he think yeah. he was in? Yeah. <laughs> but Stanley I, Kubrick was really good with the kid and sheltered him big time. Totally, totally. Um, apparently he's like the nicest man to certain people. Him and Jack Nicholson apparently got on like a house on fire. Yeah, yeah. You know? And him and Shelley Duvall, the way he uh, berated her. Yeah, and, and tortured her, <laughs> tortured basically. Her. Yeah, him and Shelley Duvall did not get on 
And it, it was on purpose. It was. He, he was, was torturing her to get that performance. Yes. So basically, Shelley Duvall, if you've seen the movie, is a mess throughout most of the movie. She fell ill. Yeah. She fainted at one point. Mm-hmm. She, she talks about her hair falling out because of stress. Yeah. She was so dehydrated from crying all the time. Yeah. There, a lot of terrible shit happened to Shelley Duvall. <laughs> now, afterwards... She has said she's only spoken highly of Stanley Kubrick. She says, "You know what? After seeing it and coming away from it and everything, I'm actually I'm I'm good friends with Stanley now, and I I respect what happened. You know, I think she sees the products totally. You know, the end game. Like he he pushed her to her limits, and yeah. like it's probably the best performance she'll ever. Also, I mean, human give. bodies are our whole thing is that we forget trauma. Like we're trained to forget how traumatic a situation was. You know, yeah. So like like women are trained to forget what childbirth." the pain of childbirth so that they'll do it again basically so I'm sure there's an element of that going on but it is nice to hear that she's okay with the Stanley Kubrick stuff yeah yeah and also Jack Nicholson in interviews praises her Mm -hmm. is like saying that was the most difficult role I've ever witnessed any actress ever do yeah she did it with she did so well Jack Nicholson also famously said he loved working with Stanley Kubrick and he said um, when you work with Stan you know it takes the biggest fear of an actor out because you know you're going to get, he's going to get exactly what he wants, you know? Leaves nothing to chance. So good. And yet he would famously only learn his lines on the day of shooting because Stanley Kubrick was changing the script constantly. Constantly, yeah. He was constantly just dipping and diving here and there. So eventually um, Jack Nicholson just got Fucking so tired of it. He was like, yeah. I'm just gonna learn whatever lines on the day because they're gonna be updated. Yeah, constantly. they're gonna be different. We're gonna be doing the scene again later, and it's gonna be different in some way. Which or adds to his performance because it's so amazing. Like it just shows how goddamn good Nicholas. Well, it's, it's fresh. Said Nicholas Cage again. Oh, Jack Nicholson. God. Yeah, it's so fresh every time, you know. And um, you know, uh, Kubrick was surrounded by his family on set. Yes, you know? Vivian Kubrick. Vivian Kubrick, yeah. Is his daughter, who and also shoots the, the making of documentary. Basically, it's a 30-minute documentary. You can find it out there. Um, it's all this great behind-the-scenes footage. Brilliant. And uh, You see Jack Nicholson just chilling in his dressing room as well. And his charisma is just amazing and infectious. I believe that man had a tunnel in his house to the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> yeah. I believe it, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen uh, his son? No. His son looks like Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? Yeah, like really like Leonardo DiCaprio. How's his hair? Good. Really? Flowing. Good mm. for him. But yeah, to get away from Jack Nicholson and his handsome son, uh, to go back to kind of Stephen King, uh, we're jumping all around on this podcast. We had a plan, it's out the window. Um, but Stephen King had a lot of problems with it. He, well, Sandy Kubrick... He he did a lot of stuff to he that alienated story. King, yeah. Even in the movie, you can see it. Like, for example, in the book, you know, there's lots of difference between the book and the movie, but uh, he has a red mini in the book, you know? Yes. And uh, famously, Stanley Kubrick, when Dick Halloran is going to the hotel to kind of, you know... Save. Save everyone. Yeah. Uh, there's a burning... Oh, Jesus. Burning red mini over there. And Jack Torrance in the movie has a yellow mini. A yellow mini, yeah. So it it just seems like a big fuck you to basically to Stephen King. And an even bigger fuck you. Dick Halloran is alive and well at the end of that book. He, yes. He is not murdered by Jack. The There's sec- so many differences to the there book. There really is. I was shocked. Now, for someone who hasn't read the book, mm-hmm. the maze, the hedge maze is not in the book. Yeah. Like, to me, the whole movie is centered around the hedge maze. Mm-hmm. You know, even the parallels with the hedge maze to the inside of the actual hotel itself yeah. and all the right angles. It's like a maze itself. Yeah. 
And then to find out that that wasn't in the book, I was shocked. I know. It's crazy. And then the fact that in a maze you can get lost in and get confused and everything is kind of a maze. You could, you know, it, it, going crazy. The parallels could be drawn to running through a maze, you know, if you're Big going time. crazy. But, uh, yeah, it's not even in the book. No. In the book they have hedge animals that come to life and attack people. It's just, it's cool. It, it's... Yeah, so hedge-shaped animals that guard the hotel yeah, itself. Basically, there's like a lion, a rabbit, and a dog. And um, there's a cool scene early in the book because I read the book, and um, there's a there's a cool scene where they're they're kind of facing you. They move to face you in the back, which is cool and ominous. Yeah. But then towards the end of the book, they come alive and start attacking, and it's just it's not good. You know. Yeah. See, it's a it seems a bit silly the fact that they're bushes. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's just not if if they were like concrete. Like mm-hmm. like the gargoyles come coming to life, I'd be like, oh, that'd be scary. Yeah. But when they're bushes, I'm just like, set them on fire. Totally. That's what happens. Oh, really? Yeah, they get set on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Trim those hedges, you Trim know. Trim those hedges, bitch. No, um, it's uh, it's 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 one of my least favorite aspects of the book. There's a few. I I actually, pref- I don't know. It's tough. I really like like the book, but the movie's just so good in so many ways. You know. Oh, we should talk about Wendy. This is like uh, Stephen King really disliked. He really disliked the portrayal of Wendy. Yeah. So Stephen King, um, I mean, he he, you know, when he wrote the book, he had no input, and he hates the movie. Famously hates the movie. Hates it. And uh, the portrayal of Wendy, and I can agree with this, is a big part of that because she is a victim through and through in the yeah. movie. She stands up for herself. Like, I mean, I mean, she does actually attack Jack at multiple stages, but. You don't believe that she'll do it. No, and it's almost like it's her last resort. Yeah. It is literally her last resort with yeah. the baseball bat. Yeah. She really does not want to do this. Almost like she gets lucky as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like she's like, oh, oh, I, I accidentally protected myself. And you it's know? literally when there's like one more step between them or she, and she's going to be dead. Yeah, So basically. she has to do it. And the same when she cuts his hand mm-hmm. when he's coming through the door. Yeah. Like that's her last resort. Yeah. And like in the book... She's a much stronger character. She's doing, like, she's a lot more active in trying to protect Danny and everything. And, you know, when she does attack Jack in the books, you know, you kind of, you feel that she doesn't want to do it, but she yeah, knows yeah. she has to. She And, I mean, look, I love the movie. The movie's great, but it, Wendy in the books is a far better character. Yeah, that's one thing I do feel mm. is, it, it seems a little unnatural. Yeah. At how she's, I don't know, so defenseless, so, yeah. so fragile. Yeah. Oh, oh, what? There's one other thing. Um, well, I mean, Jack. Oh, yeah. Stephen King famously said it's like one of the most misogynistic characters he's ever seen yeah. on the silver screen. Yeah, Jack. Like that, that's pretty... That, they're harsh words. They are harsh <laughs> words. But, I mean, Jack Torrance in the book is less of an unforgivable kind of... He's less... He has. He gets redeemed at the end of it, you know? And his descent into madness is a bit slower. But, I mean, it is a book. Yeah. So, you know, you can take your time with it. Well, Stephen King hated how ambiguous it was uh, the film the way you don't really know is it the hotel fucking with people yeah is it just the the people going mad themselves Mm -hmm. where in the book it's clear that it's a haunted hotel it is it is and um and the hotel is really what's pulling the strings totally and that's what's kind of more interesting about dr sleep and why i'm interested in seeing the movie because the book leans in heavily to the shining dr sleep relies on that as a premise you know really it's like it's a strong like the shining is a serious thing and it's it's basically if you can't buy into that you know in the movie if you if you can't buy into that or even in the book if you can't buy into that you know people are imagining people are going crazy you know you can you can you can kind of infer that but if you're going to see dr sleep you got to be able to buy into this psychic thing you know 
which is interesting. Like in the book, they make it clear that the Overlook Hotel is already kind of this haunted, spooky place. But Danny is such a powerful psychic with The Shining. Uh, he's acting as a power battery. Right. And you get the sense that if Danny dies in the hotel, they'll be powered up for forever. You know, they'll be able to. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's why they want him, Jack to kill him because it'll it'll feed the hotel and make it more powerful and more of a kind it's of. So different. Yeah. So different. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's 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 pretty cool. Like they, they don't have this moment in the movie necessarily, even though, you know, they have the famous scene of Dick Halloran explaining the shining to him and everything. It's a bit longer in the book, but Dick's like, look, if you ever need any trouble, you know, you know how to get in contact with me here, try it now. And he's like, okay. And, uh, Danny goes, okay, so just say something in my head. And in caps, it goes, Hey Dick, how are you? And Danny says, Oh, I held back. I didn't want to hurt you. And Dick Halloran is sitting there and he was like, that was like getting shot in the head. Oh really? Yeah. Cause he's like, this kid is so powerful. Wow. Okay. Such a powerful psychic. And then later when, um, he's screaming in his head for Dick to help, you know, like you don't really notice it in the movie, but Dick is like floored when he's hit by him pretty much. <laughs> like he's bursting like, his telepathic eardrums. Yeah, his like his head is like tri- exploding and pounding and even it, when he's flying over to get him again, Dick is hit with it again on the plane and he's he's like spasming out. The woman next to him is like, "Are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine." Wow. So it's it, they, they li- really lean into the psychic element of it. But yet my favorite thing is how ambiguous it is. Totally, it's the best part of the movie. That's why I'm enthralled by it. That's the, what, like, that's why I didn't like it when I, and why I think a lot of people don't like it. Yeah, is when, like, when I was in my early te- teens and I first watched the movie, mm-hmm. I was like, I need, I need some questions answered. What mm-hmm. the fuck? Especially the ending. I yeah. was angry. I was just like, oh, okay. I love so that ending. It meant nothing. Yeah. And then I think when I was around 15, 16, I watched it again and. Mm-hmm. The reason why I watched it again is like, all right, I'm, I'm going to understand it this time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand it again. Mm-hmm. And then just as you get older, you kind of accept that maybe you, you're not supposed to understand it. And that's yeah. what's amazing about it. And yeah. then by the time I was in my 20s, I was like, I love this. This yeah. is a masterpiece. But it's funny how it completely flipped from the start where I was like, I need some sort of resolution. I need to know what's going on here. Yeah. You know? And then that might be, that's that's kind of mirrors the reaction of people when it first came out. You know? Yeah, exactly. You're, that was probably the problem with it, that they, it doesn't answer any of the questions that it poses. And you just kind of leave going, wait, what happened there? I love it. I love it. Uh, what exists and what doesn't exist? That's why I can separate the movie and the book. Like, I couldn't compare the two. I, I Like, you can compare them in terms of what happens and anything, but in terms of quality, the book is great. I love the book. I love, I love Doctor Sleep, the sequel. And the movie is amazing. The shiny movie is so good. And... um I can separate them because they're different. They're yeah. different. It's the same story, but it's different, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the ambiguity in the movie is what sets it apart. It's amazing. It's it's so good. It's, and then you get to choose what what you believe and what totally. you take from it. Yeah. So everyone's got their own idea about the movie. Mm-hmm. And what some actually Some people happens. have some wild, wild some ideas. Wild ideas, but we'll get into that at some stage. Some out there ideas. There's a whole documentary called Room 237 that we're going to do some breaking down later. It's a fun watch. It's a fun watch. Make sure you watch the movie first and then watch Room 237. Because you do not want to go into that movie with all these fucking ideas in your head, <laughs> yeah. trying to watch it. Oh my god, it like it nearly ruined the movie for me. But it, yeah, really. Yeah, because I you was, went ri- literally from A to B, didn't you? Like I went from I went I watched it I watched Shining once because I'd never seen it before. I read the book before, then I saw The Shining, um, and then I watched Room Two Three Seven, watched Shining again, 
I, I was trying to enjoy the movie, but I couldn't. Cause Were you I'll, trying to like connect different theories? Because I was trying to look for the justification for a lot of the theories. And then I wasn't finding it in some. And then it, it would move on too quickly before I got... I, I just, it wasn't that fun of an experience. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched Room 237 again. And I was like, oh my God. I kind of dismissed it all and been like, well, these are just theories, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then, uh, and then when we were watching it before here, I was enraptured by The Shining again, so... Thankfully, I got my love back for it, but it was a tough go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, is there any other differences we can want to go over? I mean, the character of Jack is pretty different. Well, actually, we should talk about how close this book is to King's life. There's yeah. parallels, and yeah. this is probably why he takes such offense yeah. to the changes. Yeah. Because Stephen King was going through addiction mm-hmm. problems, cocaine, alcohol. S- Stephen King... There's, he has some famous quote where I think he doesn't remember writing it because he was so coked up out of his mind at the time which you can you can see you can, you see. can see yeah I'm reading that book still right still reading that book progress has slowed to a crawl but uh, I'm reading it and uh, yeah you understand man that this is a out there book yeah. but he does not remember writing it whereas um, like like you said Stephen King's an alcoholic and even the second book deals with alcoholism and funny enough Stephen King got through alcoholism through Alcoholics Anonymous so that's why in the second book in Doctor Sleep not trying to spoil Doctor Sleep or anything but Danny beats his drinking addiction through Alcoholics Anonymous yeah, yeah. and going through the steps and everything like that but like Stephen King actually checked himself into a hotel yeah. and was trying to just sort his life out and you can see the parallels of mm-hmm. like Jack Torrance destroying his family yeah. obviously he was afraid he was going to split up his family and yeah. he's pretty much destroying their union what he had like there's a famous thing in the movie in the book where Jack you know he can't, comes home and he's a writer much like all of Stephen King's books there's a self-insertion of a writer yeah. there and uh, he comes home and Danny has like messed up his papers or whatever. In the book, Jack pulls him so hard that he breaks his arm. In the movie, it dislocates his shoulder or whatever. But that is apparently a real incident. Yeah, where he, he had his son had all his notes a lot, sprawled across the floor and yeah. he went a bit crazy at him. Yeah, yeah. Went a bit too far, maybe. Yeah, maybe stepped over the line slightly. Yeah, but uh, So, of course, he's going to take offense when... I'm sure loads of his books don't have so many parallels to his real life yeah. especially a tragic part of his life as well like Jack Torrance is very close to his heart and you actually you kind of get that indication in Doctor Sleep as well right you know like um, also the fact that it's his third book you know yeah. so when you're earlier earlier on in your career you're, it's harder to separate from it you know totally. that way like yeah. everything's a bit more fresh everything's a passion project yeah and um, and you know like Jack gets a redemption in it and in the book it's 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 really he's he's trying to fight the hotel like he's not giving into it as much like in the movie he kind of gives into it yeah you know a bit more but that's what's fun to watch it's his descent into madness we should actually mention what happens to the hotel oh this is yeah one of the biggest differences the biggest difference is at the end of the book the hotel blows up gone gone at the it, like the hotel is gone destroyed the hotel doesn't win no the hotel does not win where the hotel wins kind of if you believe that it is the hotel pulling the strings totally well, the which ho- is kind of what I'd like to believe yeah me too the hotel added one more member to its party yeah not exactly the, not the member it wanted yeah and those of theories think that the hotel consumed him mm-hmm. yeah which I kind of I like that idea I like that idea too well I mean they had, there's an original ending this this goes back to its reception the movie ended yes. differently 
didn't yes, it? Thank- yeah. Thankfully, you remember this. Yeah, yeah, no problem. The movie ended so differently. So there's two minutes cut yeah. from the movie. And we should actually mention that then 20 minutes got cut for us yeah, in the Europe. European release. Because Stanley Kubrick, Warner Brothers was breathing down his neck. Mm-hmm. And for, like, he's a visionary and he's a genius and all that. Mm-hmm. But the guy still wanted to make some money. Yeah. You know, and also after Barry Lyndon, he actually wanted to make a Napoleon movie, but he didn't make enough money. No. So he had to make something else. Which so sucks. this so this there was pressure on this movie. Yeah. And it wasn't doing super well in America. Mm-hmm. So he decided when they unravel it uh, for the European audiences, they were gonna cut twenty minutes off. Mm-hmm. But the he still cut two minutes off from the American release because the original ending has uh, Wendy and Danny in a hospital mm-hmm. and the manager Ullman the uh, hotel manager JFK looking guy JFK looking guy yeah. yeah comes to visit them mm-hmm. and says that the, the police have looked all over the hotel and they yeah. can't find anything strange about it at all and they can't find Jack's body and that's mm-hmm. th- the biggest thing yeah and then Ullman also hands Danny the tennis ball the tennis ball yeah which is an indication that yeah. maybe Ullman's in on it maybe well, that's the thing. People believe that Ullman's, um, Ullman's whole intention is that he knows the hotel has this sinister plan or whatever, and he's happy to kind of sacrifice people during yep. the winter because it means he gets to keep open and have a good time during the summer. We should talk about the final fuck you as well. Yeah. is It has like, it just a uh, uh, text comes up on the screen confirming yeah. that the Overlook Hotel has survived another tragedy. Yeah. And it will still be open. It's, it is still open to this day. To this day. Yeah. And it's still closed for five months during winter. During winter. Like, that's a big fuck you to Stephen King. To think that, like, the ending, the big ending of his book. Yeah. It's destroyed. It, it blows is. up. The, I will I will say the book has this issue. Like, the ending of the book is good. You, But... And he's famous for having endings that... Uh, iffy endings, yeah. He's better... Don't satisfy a lot of people. His beginning and middle is normally really good, like the premises and everything established, and the endings, you know, they're a bit iffy. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you figure out what's going to happen in... You know the hotel's going to blow up, and Tony, Danny's psychic friend, it, you know, is trying to tell him. And the, and I think the book think thinks it's doing something cleverer than it... Uh, than that actually is by having right. the ending be the boiler because Tony tells Danny he's like you will remember what they have forgot and in my head I know oh yeah because the boiler it's going to blow mm-hmm. up but Danny really, takes time for Danny to do it and if he'd written it better he like Danny is a kid in, in this so that's what you have to try and remember but it's uh, it would be better if like it could be written in a way where Danny it's more his because he's a child he doesn't think of these things you know yeah so, uh, but but other than that, like in fact, actually, Doctor Sleep does a better kind of twist ending. That's I didn't see coming, basically. Right, not cool. a twist ending, but it, there's twists and turns in the whole move in the whole book that I didn't see coming. Enough said. Enough said. Yeah, so sorry. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I yeah, I mean, I like both movies. I I like not both movies. I like the movie and the book. It's it's tough to like. I don't have any animosity that the movie isn't like the book. But you can totally understand why Stephen King would be angry. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's Jack Torrance is Stephen King, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, it's tough. Like I, Jack Torrance in the book, I love. Jack Torrance in the movie, I love as well. But that's yeah. because that's the same reason I like the Joker. You know, he, he didn't like uh, 
Jack Nicholson. I was about to say Nicholas Cage Nicolas again. Nicholas Cage again. I'm telling you, I'm gonna have to whip you every time you say Nicholas Cage. You will have to. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he didn't like Jack Nicholson. No, he didn't. And he had a good point. Totally. Even though I absolutely adore Jack Nicholson's oh my performance God. in this. Everything he does. Turned up to eleven, yeah. and it's amazing. It is it's amazing. so exaggerated. Put the bat down, Wendy. Put the bat down. Oh no, no, it's stop swinging the bat, Wendy. That's it. <laughs> He's amazing in it. So good. But why he didn't like Jack Nicholson is because he just came off. Uh, what is it? The one who flew. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, and he just kind of played a eccentric character. Yeah. And he, the, even his face and his smile is just. He has madness written all over his face. Yeah. And um, Stephen King just didn't like that because he wanted. He wanted Jack Torrance to have a slow descent into madness. Mm-hmm. And so he preferred someone like John Voight, mm-hmm. who'd look a bit more reserved yeah. as Jack Torrance, where instantly, and I do feel it instantly, you're like, oh, Jack Nicholson's a bit crazy. Yeah, he's a bit crazy. There's a bit of madness in those eyebrows. Totally. And now there's something, that there's, uh, I, we're going we're gonna to be talking about Room 237 and Greater Death later, but... Um, the there's documentary. The documentary. But there's some elements where they suggest stuff like people, for some reason, people think that there's some like sexual, like pre- predation between Jack Nicholson and his, and his and son. Danny. And I just do not see that at I all. I don't see that. And after watching the documentary, yeah. when I was watching the movie, I was looking for it just to see. And I, I really don't get it. It says more about it. the person who's seeing that yeah. in the, in that, in that movie. I agree. I, I th- elements of the documentary I found was, um, People's backgrounds and everything, they're putting pieces together that aren't there. To whatever fit. someone's obsession is, yeah. whatever their background profession is, That's and they're they obsessed see. with, they see it. They, they just see. project it onto the movie. They project it, yeah. There's, there's an element of projection and there's ignoring facts. Yes. They, they ignore stuff that would disprove their theory. You but know isn't what I mean? it funny that you make a movie with that such ambiguity mm-hmm. that it's going to happen? Yeah. You know, people who are obsessive are going to watch that movie and mm-hmm. go, Oh, that's about my life. Yeah, exactly. And what I am interested in. Exactly. It's about amazing in a way. It's about an Indian burial ground, you know? It's about the Holocaust. It's about sexual repression. It's just crazy stuff. But um, I think we should go on and kind of try to break down a few key scenes in the movie, some of our favorites, you know? Because we're going to gush about them, basically. Of course. So we're just going to break down some of our favorite scenes from The Shining. Yeah, uh, what's the first one on your list? Then? Uh, Jack Tarn's freak out, 4340. Um, but yeah, it's there's lots of elements of this movie. Like, Oh, yes, this scene is amazing. Yeah, every scene is amazing for one reason or another. So if anyone who's watching this, mm-hmm. this is 43... Minutes and 40 seconds into the movie. Yeah. And this is where Wendy goes in to see how Jack is doing. Yeah, see how he's doing. How, he, how, how his play is coming on. Yeah. Well, it's a play in a book. We actually don't know what he's doing in no, this. No, we don't. So one of the elements cut out is this scrapbook. There's a scrapbook in the book that's really important because Jack starts trying to, you know, it, it talks about the Overlook's dark history or whatever. So this details loads of the Overlook Hotel's history. All the shitty stuff that happened. It explains a lot of the ghosts you see later and everything. And there's an actual picture of them filming this scene yeah. where Jack Torrance finds the scrapbook. Yeah. and Which ends up on, on the table in en- this scene. It ends up on the table in this scene. And it's in, it's in pretty much every shot of that table from here to the end of the movie. That's quite obvious. But it's never addressed. Yeah. And I had not noticed that until you told me there was a picture of him finding the scrapbook. It's mad, isn't it? It's crazy. So, oh yeah, sorry, what was I saying? How many? 43? 
4340. 4340. Yeah, so this is where Wendy goes in to see how things are going. How things are going. And um, Jack ain't so happy about he this interruption. Happy. He really is not. Um, you can just let it play from there. It's all right. Yeah. Um, but uh, There's some really good trivia about this, though. Yeah, totally. It's uh, It was Jack Nicholson's. He wrote this scene. He came to Kubrick and he was like, um, you know, he, he had this moment with his ex-wife. It was towards the end of their marriage. Yeah, or I think it was his girlfriend, actually. Was it? Oh, no, wait, maybe it was. I've actually seen so many uh, conflicting reports. I think, yeah, I sorry, think, I, I think I, you're right, though. I think he said it was before his divorce or something. Yeah, it was, it was. And he was he was making a movie in the day, Yeah. and then he was writing a movie at night, Yeah. and she interrupted him, and he was very cold towards very her. Very cold and furious to her, despite her being just the nicest person in the world. Just, hey, how you doing? And yeah. he just, like, flips out at her. Yeah. And yeah, he spoke to uh, Stanley Kubrick about this scene, yeah. and Stanley Kubrick loved it. Yeah, and put it into the yeah. into the movie. Now, now, some of the theories in Room Two Three Seven suggest that uh, this is because one of the f- big theories about this movie is that it's Stanley Kubrick telling us that he faked the moon landing. He yes. he did the footage for the Apollo. Is, which one landed on the moon? Apollo 11? Is it Apollo 11? That's what's on his jumper yeah, anyway. Apollo 11 ma- landed on the moon or whatever. And, uh, but yeah, and this is Stanley Kubrick's scene where he's, you know, talking about the government having pressures on him. and you Because know, he had to keep the secret from his wife. He had to keep the secret and he's trying to work on how to get it out there, but he can't <laughs> or whatever. But again, that theory makes no sense. Yeah, when, it totally debunks it. When Jack Nicholson wrote this scene. Yeah. Not Stanley Kubrick. Or at least inspired the scene. Exactly. And it's a fantastic scene. He is so mean to her. He's so mean. And Wendy is lovely. He is. And you really, and you get the impression that like, this isn't how Jack normally is. Because she wouldn't be this happy and chipper all the time if Jack was constantly berating her and everything. Like, you really get the idea that the Overlook has had some serious effect on Mm -hmm. him. But yeah, he's not overplaying it yet. Not yet. No. Oh, a little bit. A little Uh, bit, actually. There's elements (laughs) of it. Um, oh, we have the theory that we only came up with while we were watching this a yeah. few minutes ago. So he rips up a page, mm-hmm. and we wonder: Did he ever write any word was there that any, wasn't? Uh, um, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, we wonder if he's just ripping that up right now, and he just d- never sees it. Yeah, he just thinks he's working away. Yeah, or maybe like even at the end of the scene is the first because he typed something on his oh, typewriter yeah, at the end too, yeah. and I was like maybe at the end is the first time where he kind of he kind of maybe he kind of realizes that he went a bit crazy and then he went all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and then he's just obsessing over that line over and over again he's in a trance as he's going crazier and crazier and we should say mm-hmm. who wrote uh, so there's loads of conflicting rumors mm-hmm. that Stanley Kubrick himself wrote all those no work and no uh, all work, no all work play. And no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, but it's actually his secretary. His secretary had it. to write five hundred pages, and you might uh, or like uh, some of those typewriters. Yeah. They have like a memory. Yeah, but the paragraphs change and the yeah. template constantly delayo keeps changing. Yeah. So they, it had to have been physically done. Uh, Maybe one or two. They could have done like three pages of one, then three pages of the other. Mm-hmm. But it took her months. Months. And why this is true is because vivian kubrick his daughter says this yeah said it now people people always gave kubrick the credit because they were like he's the type of guy who would do that you know he's the kind of maniac that the attention to detail yeah oh look at this we moved on to jack's stare out the window (laughs) i fucking love it it's just honestly i've never he just wants to kill them both you know (laughs) do you want to jump to the next 
Yeah, well, the next one we have is the staircase scene. Which is... 146. 146. The most iconic scene, I would say. Uh, only I would say only second to the Here's Johnny scene. <sighs> Damn, you got me good. Yeah, I think, you that's, got me good. I think that's more iconic. But uh, the staircase scene is the best scene in the whole thing. It's my favorite scene. Yeah, it's my favorite scene too. I, 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 it's a cl- uh, Jack Torrance freak out I love. Because it comes early on in the movie, and he's just needlessly mean. It's the first real taste yeah. of how horrible he can be as well. Yeah, totally. But this is like, this is just, Shelley Duvall is terrified. She's, you can see she's exhausted. So this holds the record for the most takes. In 127 the, takes. It's in the Guinness World Book of Record, 127 takes. So that's why Shelley Duvall looks so, so exhausted. Broken. Broken just, is the perfect word. Just broken by everything that's happening. Not understanding why. Again, this links into, you know, Jack being kind of a good family man. She's clearly not understanding why he is suddenly turned into this person, you know. And 127 takes. Now, can you imagine doing this 127 times mm-hmm. where your director is berating you yeah. and saying, oh, you're terrible. You're ruining this because that's what he was doing to Shelley Duval. He was he was going after her constantly throughout this movie, trying to get her to that emotional state. And, uh, <laughs> and it worked. And it worked. Well, whereas all Jack Nicholson had to do was just get angry over yeah. and over again. Get angry and crazy and kind of overact. And this was famously parodied by many things. The Simpsons. The Simpsons, I think, is the biggest one. Yeah, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. They have a whole episode of The Shinning. Not The, the Shining. Yeah, the shinin'. You got The Shinning. <laughs> Don't you mean Shining? Do you want to get sued? <laughs> that's Willie. That's my terrible <laughs> Willie impression. But, uh, yeah. Give me the bat, Marge. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. I love this scene so oh, much. Oh, it's so good. Everything he says is just gold. Look at the absolute exhaustion in her yeah. face. I just want to I just want to give her a hug. Yeah, I just want her to sit down and <laughs> yeah, just rest forever. And just every, everything about the scene, the lighting, like it's bright in the room, but it's so dark. Now, I read that she swings the bat 42 times. Mm-hmm. So, oh, for God's sake. If she did it 42 times in every take, yeah. I wonder how that would be 127 multiplied by 42. That'd be 5,324 times. Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure there's takes where she does less, but I'm sure there's takes where she does more. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I did a perfect spot on Jack Nicholson impression of this scene at the beginning of this episode. Nailed it. I'm never, if when I watch this episode back, I'm going to skip through that because that'll be too embarrassing. Oh, really? Well, we'll see. I might might No, you want to massage your ego. Yeah, I do. If it's any good, I'll watch it once. If it's not good, I'll never watch it again. If it's any good, you'll watch it more than once. I will. I'll show people (laughs) it. Um, Yeah, but I mean, put the bet down, Wendy. When he does the turn in this oh, scene, it's, it's excellent. He goes from crazy to just sinister, and the, the then back tongue. to crazy. The tongue, <laughs> you know, everything about his it. His tongue does a lot of work in this movie. It certainly, he's does. always pushed up against his back teeth. Yeah, everything. And whenever he speaks, Wendy, it's sharp. You know. Yep, and he takes one on the head. And then the stuntman does some serious work here. Falling down them stairs. And making sure his face is concealed. Making sure, oh my God, can you imagine how many times Kubrick would make him do that <laughs> if he didn't get it right? <laughs> if that, oh, that stunt man, that poor stunt man. Poor, poor stunt man. Surely he spent a few days doing that. He must have, yeah. I I wonder if, uh, I wonder who, who was more battered and bruised at the end of that scene, Shelley Duvall or the stunt man? Or the stunt man. I still yeah. say Shelley Duvall. Yeah, me too. Emotionally. 
Um, emotionally, definitely. More emotional bruises. Um, speaking of more iconic shots from this movie that we forgot, the elevator scene. Elevator know, scene is know. amazing. And what's crazy about it is it took them three takes to do it. Yes. Yeah. Which is great for Stanley Kubrick. Totally. That's really... Three that, takes. That's good. And... Um, it's what it's crazy when you think that a movie can repeat a shot like the exact same shot over and over again in a movie. It's so visceral. It's though. so visceral, it's and amazing. you and you don't mind seeing it over and over again. I love that scene so much, and mm-hmm. we should say we should one of the theories mm-hmm. that I love, even mm-hmm. though I actually I don't agree with it. Yeah, but it's in um, room two three seven where they talk about how. They think it's the blood of from the Indian burial grounds. Was all the Indians that died yeah. during the genocide? You, you learn the hotel is built on an Indian burial ground. Yeah, grounds. Native Americans. Native I should American. be saying. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so it's the blood of all those, um, killed. Yeah, massacred, murdered, Native massacred, Native massacred Native Americans. Native Americans. Yeah. I love that idea. I, me too. I'm not. Sh- I agree with you. I don't. I don't agree fully with the theory, but the idea of it being the blood of the victims of the hotel—it's a fun theory, or isn't people it? who've been killed there. I. I would. I would think that that's what it is. You I know? prefer the people who were killed there. Yeah, exactly. the victims of the hotel who, who they've consumed. Yeah, basically, and that it, it has to come out at some stage. You know. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's Does great. it ever actually really happen though? That's the thing as well. No, never. It's just another question I never, to the I, list. I never think it happens. I think it's... It's just seen and it's yeah. Wendy who sees it, isn't it? It's Danny who sees it first. Well, Danny sees it first mm-hmm. and then Wendy eventually sees it. Wendy sees it right? at the very end after she sees all the other ghosts, which funny enough is our next scene. Oh, mm. but here, mm. I want to say one thing about the, yeah. the blood. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick had to convince the what, the advertisement board or mm. whatever, the film board, because... Yeah. Um, to sh- that it was rusty water yes because you were not allowed to show blood in, in trailers, trailers yeah. in the 1980s mm-hmm. so he had to convince them that that was rusty water oh very obviously rusty water yeah well if you if you didn't see the movie you wouldn't know It's it still looks like blood it still looks like blood yeah <laughs> uh, and, and I love the idea of like it's like an old timey salesman where they're like, isn't that blood coming out of the elevator? No, 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 no. It's, it's <laughs> rusty water. Don't <laughs> yeah, you course. worry about it. Don't you worry about that, sir. It's like a weekend at Bernie's, you know? Yes. Anyway, hey, Bernie, how you doing? And he's a fucking dead man, and they're just waving his arm <laughs> and everything. Who wrote that movie? What a strange premise for a movie. When would that ever work? Oh, sorry, I just wanted to see. It took nine days to set up one of the shots Jesus. for the blood coming out. So they had to do it in three takes, really. I love it. So it took nine days to set it up. So good, and I can when you hear that you understand how this movie uh, wasn't even halfway done in six months. And you know when I think about this movie, mm-hmm. I see that I see that scene yeah. constantly. Yeah, I really do. Obviously, because it's repeated, mm-hmm. but it's such a terrifically visceral scene. It really is. Yeah, it's so good. It's one of the. There's so many scenes like that's just kind of synonymous with this movie. Like mm-hmm. instantly, you just go to the scene, and that's one of them to, the el- for me. The elevator is actually a thing in the in the book it's that but it's that it's old and it's got people you're kind of scared to get on the elevator or whatever is there a, a bloody scene no like no that? bloody scene no i don't think so no there's no blood in the elevator right that's um yeah it's just it's so visual and you you made an excellent point that if you got the script for the shining you wouldn't think it was a good movie no, you know? oh definitely not and only a director could write it yeah because it's so visual mm-hmm. and visceral 
You know, I wonder if they had storyboards because if he was constantly changing I his ideas, it. I doubt it. Which w- even for the 1980s, well, yeah. that would be odd. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of like Terminator, yeah. like James Cameron spent because he couldn't get the movie do- made, yeah. he just spent like a year storyboarding the whole movie so it was ready to go have when you, he got the green light. Have you heard Arnold talk about doing the first Terminator? By the way, just to get on a tangent for a bit, he um. He says that his idea about the Terminator was he can't, he needs, the guy, whoever plays him needs to be trained. Like, the Terminator can never blink when they when he fires a gun. Oh, I've heard about this. And he can never look to see how a gun's reloaded because that's not who he is. He's a machine. Yeah. He has to do everything machine-like. And, uh, and OJ nearly did it. And OJ nearly did it. Jesus, can you? That's more terrifying, arguably. Oh, yes. Yeah, considering he's a real murderer. I yeah. mean, alleged alleged murderer. If the glove fits. If the glo- it didn't fit. It didn't. That's the that's thing. That's the thing, yeah. Doesn't look like it fit. <laughs> yeah. Probably um, banging his hand off fucking something to make it swell before he uh, tried to put it on. What a stupid idea. I know. Um, What was I going to say? Uh, But OJ, funny enough, um, South Park have a great episode where uh, about OJ Simpson. Yeah, Butters goes missing. Uh, Butters his parents think they killed Butters right but he act, but he's gone missing and he comes back at the end and they admit that they thought he had gone missing but OJ comes and visits them and he's like yes someone also mysteriously murdered my wife and then there's <laughs> other people and they come in and then at the end of the thing they just end up shouting at him you know something that you aren't telling us <laughs> anyway back to The Shining sorry he's on Twitter he is he's on yeah. Twitter now that he's out of jail for stealing back his own memorabilia <laughs> So what's the next scene? <laughs> the next scene, as I said, was Wendy's ghosts. And these are all the uh, interesting ghosts. We didn't get a time for it, but it's about, it's just after two hours into the movie, I'd say. Okay. About 2.05, 2.06 maybe. Um, But yeah, so it's Wendy seeing the ghosts of, or maybe she's not seeing, maybe she's imagining, of all the people who lived kind of in the overlook, you know? Yep. And uh, it's just such a cool scene because it's uh like it's so unexplained in the movie and it ties to the book you were saying it does it ties to the book so like the character in the dog costume and the guy getting blown is the <laughs> is the original owner of the hotel and which roger out of context which i've been watching it for years you're yeah. the only person who's ever said this to me yeah like i've been watching it out of context for years and i'm always like stanley kubrick is an odd one yeah, he's an odd fella, but that's from the book. So it turns out Stephen King is the odd fella. Yeah, there we go. It's amazing the elements that Stanley Kubrick chose to leave in and that he chose to leave out. I know. know. He's like, well, the dog blowing the, the, the owner, that that's staying that, in there. That's got to stay in. But, you know, uh, explaining who the owner is and talking about the history of the... <laughs> or Jack's sobriety. Yeah, or ah. Jack's... Nah, we won't deal with that. Um, But yeah, the... Uh, yeah, so the dog is actually the owner, and you find that out in the book. Wait, and the dog's not the owner. No, the dog's not the owner. Roger, it's Roger, and it's Harry Derwent. Derwent, I believe, he's the guy who owns it. Right. And he also has ties to the mafia and the mob. And, like, in the book, you find out that mobsters... Actually, could you leave it playing, because we're going to see the victims. Like, we're going to see the elevator and the blood yep. is going to come up. Um, But... In the book, you find out that Derwent had ties to the mob and like a mob hit went down in the hotel and people were butchered. So the Is guy, this in the scrapbook you were saying as it, well? It's kind it? of in the scrapbook, okay. yeah. It, oh, it actually is in the scrapbook. Sorry, yeah. This is when you first kind of learn of it. And then when Jack starts hallucinating and be, and ends up like hanging out with the yeah. ghosts, they tell him about it first. Right, time, right. You know? But uh, It's amazing. It, it is. Oh, it looks so Danny good. Danny just ran into the, the, the hedge maze. maze in the snow, which was crushed up styrofoam 
and salt. I can't imagine anything worse for your skin if it, it got on it. You know what? When I was... Ever since ever since I started watching this movie, I always mm. loved the scene where Danny slides down the snow. Me too. But now, now that I know that it's crushed up styrofoam I, I don't even and wanna, salt. I wouldn't even want to touch it. No, Ugh. it's horrible. People on the set that were working there mm-hmm. said that their boots were falling apart because Crazy. of the salt. Ugh, disgusting. I don't even add salt to most of my meals. <laughs> Genuinely, I never use salt. Really? Yeah, never. Not even on chips. Um, oh, here we go. Here's Wendy again. Here's Wendy again. This is where she sees wounded man. And so a mob hit went down and the mobsters were murdered by axes. So this is, might be who this guy's thing. Okay. But it looks like a guy from the party as well. He doesn't look like a mobster. So I might just be reading too much into it. But... Uh, well, it's not explained at all in the film. No, so exactly. And, like, in the book, they keep finding, like, streamers and balloons around the place. Cause, really? Because of the party. Because the party, yeah, yeah. The New Year's party. Oh, it's so good. Um, I love you were telling me that uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick had to tell Shelley Duvall to stop jumping at every word. Yeah, because he thought it was just a bit hokey. Yeah. She was just... <laughs> every time Jack, which is, like, every word he says... You know, he over-fucking-exaggerates and he's yeah. just, like, in your face and she was just a bit too jumpy. Yeah. And, like, she was doing that on purpose. I mean, like, it's not as oh, if yeah. he was scaring her every time. No, no, no. But sometimes she was jumping at every word. But the way Stanley Kubrick even says it to her, you're like, oh, he's not a nice man to her. No, he is not nice to her. I'm glad they <laughs> sorted things out allegedly afterwards, but still. It seems like she respects what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure she's got a lot of compliments over the movie over the years. I'm so sure. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Oh, here's the scene, which is really out of place. Yeah. So th- this is the one scene that I always find strange. It's like the only scene that could, that you would think comes from a like a classic horror movie. Yes, you know? where she runs into the lobby yeah. and there's skeletons everywhere. And all of a sudden there's cobwebs everywhere. Yeah. This is not in the European edition. Which is I'm weird. I'm pretty sure this isn't. And I could understand him cutting this scene. Yeah. It would not be one of my favorites. No. But at the same time, I kind of like it, though. You know, it's like the first time he fully embraces like a kind of horror trope. Well, he fully embraces it. And then it's nice to see the parallels where Jack sees a buzzing party with people he wants to be around and everything. Shelley Duvall sees what it really is. Absolute death. A room of corpses, Mm. you know? And it's uh, I keep calling her Shelley Duvall because Wendy. It I Wendy in is so different for me in the books that it's Shelley Duvall in the movie. You okay. know, like Wendy is a blonde bombshell apparently. Yeah, it's like a former cheerleader and everything. Not to say Shelley Duvall is is an ugly woman or anything, but um, she's just so different that it's yeah. tough to. She's so dainty. Yeah, I don't associate her with uh, Wendy, but Jack Torrance. I when I was reading the book, I did see uh, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, really? Oh, yeah, That's great. Yeah. But uh, that might just be because, you know, you know the movie from media and everything. Anyway, the uh, the la- the what, the second last scene we wanted to talk about is the most famous scene in the movie. Here's Johnny yes. 201. Um, and uh, there's so much trivia about this one scene. Like, there's great behind-the-scenes footage of uh, Jack Nicholson amping himself up to it's get amazing. through the door. And he nearly hits some, I don't know what he is, some guy in, on the set with the, with the axe. Because it's a real, real axe. axe. yeah. It's a real axe. Yeah. He had to use a fake one for when he kills Dick Halloran and he had to practice with it for weeks. 
just to get the the weight right to yeah. make it look like he's holding a real wooden axe. Yeah. By the way, Dick Halloran, the actor who plays him, has the best name ever. Scatman Carruthers. It's so cool. And then the guy who was meant to play Dick Halloran, um, oh, what was his name? Ah, uh, I I don't know his name. Um, we'll find out. We'll find out for it. It's like, oh, oh man. He's the guy who he worked with Stanley Kubrick on Doctor um, Strange Love and How I Learned to Love the Bomb. And he was like, I want no part in this movie because I know how Stanley works. Yeah, and then Stanley got another guy to play him and the other guy, Scatman Crothers, was apparently broke down in tears in one scene because he was so fed up with doing it over and over again. And supposedly it's the scene where he's describing The Shining to Danny. Yeah. And Danny, the little kid who's Mm -hmm. like five or six, Mm -hmm. he was fine. He was just like, oh, that's repetition. Yeah, exactly. Kids love repetition anyway. It's true, yeah. Where Scatman was just losing his mind and yeah. broke down in tears. Oh, man, Scatman's a cool guy. <laughs> um, and then luckily, he went on to work with the easiest going director known on the face of the earth. Hello, I'm Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, who's easy. notorious for being chill on yeah. set. Sometimes he'll only do one and two takes. We've said it before, but... Um you know, he says, uh, he says to, uh, uh, he says to all these, uh, he says to all his actors, he's like, all right, on you go. And that's Instead how he starts action. it. Instead of action, then he goes, <laughs> that's enough of that now when it's, uh, when it's time to end. Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. How did we forget that name? I have no idea. Um, yeah, Slim Pickens. He's in Blazing Saddles as well. So he was going to be Dick Halloran. He's a, uh, he looks like a white actor. Is yeah, he? no, he was. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, right. he was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's a funny. He's he's a funny actor. Have you ever seen 1941? No. Oh yeah, that's a. He's in that as well. He's a funny yeah. movie. Yeah, he's a real cowboy guy. I've never actually seen Doctor Strange Love. Me either. I'd love to watch it. Yeah, I'd like to give it a go. I've never seen uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh, neither have I. Oh really? And I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut either. I haven't seen that either. And I haven't seen 2001: A Space Odyssey. I have seen that. Okay. And I have seen uh, Full Metal Jacket. I have not. I've seen Full Metal Jacket. That's the only other one other than The Shining that I've seen. Crazy. Crazy. But I know so much about all of them. Yeah, I know. Same myself. They're, they're huge yeah. ep- pop culture, you know, icons. Really. I've, I've never watched any of the Godfather movies. Really? Yeah. Let's get to this scene. Let's get to this scene. <laughs> anyway, Jack comes through the door. Famously, uh, Jack Nicholson ad-libbed the line, here's Johnny. Also, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, we should say that it's a reference to... Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson show. And Johnny Carson used... Jack, the soundbite of Jack Nicholson saying, "Here's Johnny" for one of the, of one of his shows in yeah. the 1980s yeah. when the film came out. Uh. But Jack Nicholson was like a voluntary firefighter yeah. for a while, so he could swing an axe. Yeah, he really could, and he kept destroying the fake doors that they made. Yeah, like the, the prop team, the made- stunt doors, too easily. Yeah, he just ran through them. Yeah, so they eventually had to give him real doors to bash down. Just to make it uh, a little harder for him. Yeah. he got some good technique. He certainly does. He knows what he's doing anyway. Also, it just makes me like Jack Nicholson more that he was yeah. a volunteer fireman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like... Shelley Duval actually says she estimates there was around 60 doors that he went through. Crazy. Now, surely, probably the first 15 were those, like, you know, terrible little ones. wood chip doors. Yeah. Oh. Man, this scene is great. They, this film takes a time, takes its time, but 
it doesn't feel like it when you're watching it. When it ramps up, though, yeah. it feels like it's just a race to the end. Yeah. Like it really, yeah. like it's it's high octane. The last twenty minutes. And you know why that is? I I've, I've been trying to think about this, and my opinion is because you're living it. You know, like when you're living something, it feels like it's going a mile a minute, and you're really living the horror in yeah. these scenes. Like you are there with them, going through all the motions, even like the slow walking around there. You know, that's terrifying, mm-hmm. and it's just. It's just such it, it, so such a good job of putting you in that situation. And it's, it's a great balance because sometimes yeah. you can you can you can do that and you're like, oh my god, the pace of this movie's put me to sleep. Yeah. But in this one, you're just absorbing it. Yeah. You know, like you said, you're enraptured. You're just watching every scene and you're just going along with it. And you're on the edge of your seat. Yeah. You know what's happening? What's, what's gonna happen Jack next? gonna do next? What's Jack gonna do next? Where are we going? How's she getting out of this one? You know? Oh, it's great. Um. There is another scene, but we've kind of mentioned it before, and it's Jack at the party. But I don't. Yeah. We don't really need to go over it, or we can if you want. I know. Should just we have to go through loads of them there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic scene, though. It's totally. amazing, and some of the trivia that I found out that like the the band in the background that are singing and playing all have like these in ears, yeah. so they're listening to a song and miming to it. Crazy, and that um all the so there's video of Stanley Kubrick telling the the extras. Mm-hmm. To just melt your words and not actually speak. And don't nod your head too much. Yeah, don't over nod because it yeah. looks fake and hammy, mm-hmm. which I just love. And isn't Stanley Kubrick's daughter in the scene yes, as well with she's her a, friend? She's on a couch. Yeah. She's sitting, she's in a black dress next to her friend in a white dress. Do you want to play it so we, we can see it actually just while it's going? No, no, we, it, was, it was forward. A bit more. Yeah, there you go. I love Lloyd, the bartender. Lloyd's great. All of Jack Nicholson's interactions with him are great. You're always the best of them, Lloyd. <laughs> always the best. All of this, him nodding his head and then looking for his money. And now he has money because he's selling his soul and everything. There's a great shot of Stanley Kubrick and his production team telling certain extras that they need to go into the back. And mm-hmm. the extras look so unhappy because yeah. they're getting moved further away from the camera. You oh, know? Yeah, well, you know, there you go. Oh. And then uh, there's the great scene with Grady in the bathroom yes and there's a bit of confusion about that scene as there well there is yeah because his name changes Ullman says it's something Grady at the start and yeah. then his name changes in the bathroom scene but it is the Grady that killed his wife and kids because he admits to it he admits he, he yeah. corrects them is that what he says he says I corrected them not only that he denies it blankly and then all of a sudden he, when Jack calls him out of him, he's like no 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 I didn't do that yeah. and then later on when he's convincing Jack he's like and I corrected them Delbert Grady that's Delbert what he is Grady. in the second half yeah um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up and see if the, who, what the actor who the actor is credited as playing you know oh actually that's interesting yeah. I can tell you now uh, uh, Delbert Grady Delbert Grady That's what he's credited as Okay What does Ullman call him At the beginning I do not know Oh by the way Another interesting fact That you pointed out to me Is that the Shining Twins Aren't twins Aren't twins Even though the actresses Playing them mm-hmm. Are identical twins Identical t- twins Their daughters 10 and 8 Apparently 10 and 8 is what Ullman says yeah. Which always went over my head Yeah And they're known famously mm-hmm. As the, as Shining, the twins. Shining Twins By the or way Or the Grady Twins The Grady Twins Yes And Can we just say one of the theories, basically, that all the numbers in this movie are multiples of seven. Yep. Eight and ten. Eight and ten. And Jack's five, and Danny's five. So that throws that theory out the yeah. window. Um. Anyway, 
Yeah, I just, I literally just thought of that there, and I was like, wow, all the numbers in this movie, and I was like, whoa, that's, a, I can't believe that. Yeah, and then like they're I, clutching the straws I, at times. And then, and then I just went, wait a minute, eight and ten, <laughs> counting on my fingers like a Neanderthal. But there's that moment where they're like, oh look, seven up, seven. You know, you're like, oh come on, relax, guys, yeah. relax. Take it easy, boys. Take it easy. Yeah. Grady's performance in this is great as well. Like the whoever, whatever actor is playing him. Do you have his name there? It is Philip Stone. Philip Stone. Yeah, he's great. Oh yeah, I wanted to show Lloyd you Lloyd as well. Sorry, Lloyd as well. Whoever plays Lloyd. Lloyd as well. is fantastic. He's so I good. will tell you, Lloyd is Joe Turkle. Joe Turkle. And how long did they rehearse for before they did that scene? Joe Turkle says six weeks. And what I love is he also says it's his favorite scene. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, because you're in it. Yeah, it'd be my favorite scene if I was in The Shining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I was the bartender. What's your favorite scene? Oh, the one that I'm in. Yeah, the one that I'm in, exactly. So that's, that's Vivian there with her oh, friend. That's cool. That's very cool that she's in it. Yeah. Such an iconic movie. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I'd put all my friends and kids in my movie if I had, if I was making movies, you know? Um, that's, well, that's, I'll be in it then. Yeah, you'd be in it. Yeah. Hold you to that. Very minor role. Mm. <laughs> very minor very minor role very minor role if you look if you squint you can kind of see me in the back there yeah yeah and then I'll cut you out and I won't tell you I'll be like <laughs> Brian Callen in, in yeah. Joker I'm gonna yeah. be in Joker and tell all in, your friends yeah tell all your friends you're gonna be in Joker and Mark Maron's like yeah I'm in Joker too and yeah yeah it's just not the case so we've been referencing this documentary throughout the whole podcast room 237 uh, and it's a doozy <laughs> I, I watched this thinking it was it was all truth yeah. until 10 minutes in. And then I was like, oh, this guy's talking about uh, Ullman's hard-on. Yeah, it's not even... Okay. It's so... A lot... Elements of this part of this are so stupid, you know? Yes. People going too far, reading too much into everything. You got to take everything they say with a pinch of salt. Yeah, you know? they're creating theories. Mm -hmm. Just creating them out of thin air. But at the same time, it is enjoyable to see how crazy and obsessive yeah. people can get over a movie. And that's Daniel, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's, like, fascin fascinating way of, like, when you make something that ambiguous... This is going to happen, and yeah. I kind of love that. Me I too. love that he created this monster. And uh, another, I love the fact that, uh, you know, in all the theories, there are elements of it where you go, okay, I can see that. There are elements of it where they go, push it too far. You know, I'll admit that. And uh, But there are definitely times in this movie where I'm like, oh, I agree with these theories. A few, Two, two of the ones, examples I, I agree with, just a quick one. Um, When you first see Danny before he learns about the overlook or whatever there's a dopey uh, dwarf on sticker. the wall sticker on the wall and then you push in and he learns about the overlook and he has this attack and then he's back in his room and the next time you see that wall dopey is gone it's gone yeah and that's because he's clued in now he knows something bad is going to happen he's grown almost you know and I this is that. the thing because there's a debate where is it continuity problems mm -hmm. because supposedly they were filming for almost a year yeah and if you're t doing we've already covered how many takes they done for certain certain films as well. Oh, sorry, for certain takes, like yeah. for certain scenes. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you do, if you are doing like fifty takes per scene, there's going to be continuity errors yeah. as well. So it's hard to gauge. Some of them, I'm like, oh, I can see that, and some of them, I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. And then the other theory that I love is a Minotaur theory. Uh, so that do you believe this? 
Or I, would you just like to believe this? So the thing that set... There's a woman who talks about it. I don't know her name. But the thing that set her off about the theory is the skiing poster. That I don't see. She says the skiing poster looks like a minotaur. Don't see it. You know, don't get that. But then she points out all these other times where there's references to the minotaur and the Greek story and everything. And all of those I agree with. Adding the maze. The fact that the maze isn't in the book. That he adds yeah. it. Um, that he turns more animalistic in the end. And the maze is ultimately what traps and kills him. I, all that the parallels to the Minotaur are there I actually really enjoy that and I like it but uh, he all looking through his brows looking through his brows looks like, like horns a lot of the there's T's in the movie and they've extended bits at the end kind of look like horns and everything there's a lot of horned imagery you know with a cowboy and then a bull and everything there's all this other kind of imagery and I understand that and that is what convinced me of this theory but not the not the initial one she found I don't agree with it at all no, yeah. don't think it looks like it's a, a guy skiing. It's a guy skiing, even though they say skiing isn't big at the hotel. Yeah, they do say that. But uh, there's other crazier ones, like there's a lot relating to history. People saying it's about the Holocaust. Just mainly because the typewriter. The typewriter is German, and there's an eagle on it, and that's the Nazis. And that yeah. uh, there was uh, about the Holocaust. There was it was kind of like office. Like there's a lot of paperwork and stuff. Like it, that's how it started. But the, the typewriter changes colors throughout the oh, movie as well. Oh, 42 as well. Which I love. Yeah. 1942. 1942, yeah. It, it's a real stretch. It, you could tell yeah. that it's someone who's obsessed and their profession is German history. Yeah. So they're just seeing parallels everywhere. They're just like, oh, well, that, yeah, that yeah. relates to this and that relates to that. It's the same guy. Another guy talks about, you know, we've mentioned him earlier, Indian burial sites. And, you know, it's about the genocide of native peoples. Which makes a little bit more sense because there's tons of uh, Native American imagery everywhere totally. yeah. but still it's it's a stretch and even the poster yeah. they actually say that the poster it's like the terror that's stretched across America yeah. or something like that is on the poster like the terror that's stretched across America yeah and he's like no that was the the only terror he can think of yeah was the genocide of Native Americans yeah exactly which is that's a serious stretch it like, is but to then, put on your poster but then there's other things like he talks about the peace pipe stuff and all of that I really like and the fact mm -hmm. that you know the first time you see it it's straight on and then you see Stanley Kubrick there's pictures of him arranging the cans a certain way and that the cans aren't all facing the next time you see it yep. and then talking about you know Jack talking about the burden of the white man and talking <laughs> True, about yep. stretching out from you know you're the best bartender I've had and Timbuktu for all this other stuff Um, but then there's other elements where they're like in this outside shot they're about to be hit by a car oh my god and there's also one of my favourites mm -hmm. is the final shot of the movie yeah. when it's it's uh, Jack frozen mm -hmm. and then it slowly fades into Jack in the picture. Yeah. In the 1921 picture. Yeah. And for a second, Jack looks like he's Hitler because his face kind of, when it's fading, it looks, it gives him a mustache for one second. And they're like, oh, look, it's, a, it's about, it's about the Holocaust because he looks like Hitler for a second. And no, like, There's also a guy that gets so excited over seeing a man look like a, a giant for a second because yeah. there's a guy sweeping a floor yeah. and then it slowly fades to an outdoor shot and right. it looks like he's like sweeping the woods and he's a huge he's a giant huge guy I hate it don't like any makes of no that stuff makes it really no sense doesn't. and then there are other elements of it where like 
one guy said, uh, you know, this famous theorist was like, this movie deserves to be watched backward and forward, you know? And then what they did was they went to a cinema and they overlaid it. Yeah, like superimposed both of them over each other. Superimposed it and they had it playing backwards and forwards at the same time. Looks really cool. That looks like an experience. It looks really, really cool. I thoroughly enjoyed some of the screen grabs and seeing a few scenes and everything. I don't think you'd learn anything more about the movie. No, I think it's totally unintentional. Yeah. If they maybe had 10 years in post-production. Maybe, yeah. It might have lined up. But it's like some of the shots that line up, I mean, really cool. They look, they look great, but yeah. it's just consequential, you know, that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. And you see Stanley Kubrick in the clouds. He was photoshopped into the clouds. I don't think if so. If you look really closely, you yeah. can see Stanley in the clouds. If yeah. you know what Stanley looked like when he yeah. was making this movie. Yeah, I didn't see it. I, I wouldn't l- mind. That's right at the start. So I was staring hard at those clouds. Me and too. I'm like, am I just not seeing it? That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe I'm just not seeing my it. My eyes, my uneducated eyes can't see it. Am I looking in the wrong place? Yeah. You know? Maybe um, if I squint. Yeah. And then there's other element, elements like, you know, the layout of the maze. The layout of the hotel makes no sense. Now, this is true, though, from what I've invested. Yeah, this, the, this is Ian's favorite thing to talk about about this movie. This this fucked my head up yeah. so badly. It's another maze, another layer. Yeah. So, the architecture in this movie, I figured out that this, this is the scariest movie to watch if you're an architect. Yeah. This would make you throw up because the uh, there's just spatial mm-hmm. ano- anomalies everywhere in the hotel. Oh, yeah. It makes no sense. It's... Uh... So there's yeah. rooms that go to nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's like walls that have rooms. Like it would be like a, a three foot deep room. It makes no sense. The most famous one is that Ullman's office has a window. That out, looks outdoors. To nowhere. To nowhere. There it, shouldn't be a window there. It's encased by other rooms. Yeah. And then... Uh, and, and they... Like the set is so big that you can clearly see that mm-hmm. it's encased by other rooms. Because there's long shots where there's people running or he's cycling and all through through all these uh, different rooms and yeah. you can clearly see that there's a hallway mm-hmm. where his window is. Yeah. And why I think this is intentional mm-hmm. and I was watching a, just um, a little breakdown of all these spatial anomalies in the hotel and why I think this uh, is true that it was intentional is because that hallway exists behind Ullman's office. So they would have had to, when they were doing the shots in Ullman's office, they would have had to do a lighting rig Mm -hmm. and put fake trees up in this hallway. Yeah. That's the only thing that really made sense to me where I was like, actually, now I think maybe it is true. Yeah. And uh, the windows in uh, their room don't make sense either. Because it's not a corner room. It's not a corner room. You see that when Danny's put out the window, you know, they don't live in a corner room, but they have windows like they have a corner room. Yeah, they have windows everywhere. Or room 237 is much bigger. It would be encroaching on the room next to it. It's so big. Yeah, unless there's two rooms, there's two doors to every room in the hotel. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. There's staircases, and then there's a room just right next to the staircase. Like, there's just... the the room can't exist. Yeah. There's so many doors to places that could not exist. There's hallways that don't make sense as well. It's great. It's so, so cool. That's probably the best thing to come from this documentary is realizing just how much this hotel does not make any sense. And there's an amazing, fantastic breakdown Mm -hmm. on on YouTube if you look it up. Yeah, you should check that out. Oh, did you see how they came across this originally? No. They were making a video game and he wanted to make a level Mm -hmm. that was the Overlook Hotel. And it was some um, first-person shooter game. Yeah. So they made this, like, special edition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was, like, a, a DL or whatever like that. Um, but, yeah, 
when the guy who was making the level investigated, like he watched a movie to try figure out the blueprints of it. Yeah. That's when he realized, oh, I can't do this properly. Mm-hmm. I have to lie in it because it makes no sense. Yeah. Also, uh, Steven Spielberg in the most recent movie, Ready Player One, as an homage to Stanley Kubrick, did the whole Shining thing. Which is so cool. And he was supposed to do a Blade Runner yeah. scene. But they couldn't get the rights. Because they were doing Blade Runner 2049. 2049. Yeah. Which makes sense. So they're like, totally. oh, we kind of prefer if you didn't do. But it's it's nice that he got to do like an homage to Stanley instead of it, you know? And they were friends. They were good friends, apparently. And Steven Spielberg, Spielberg also done. Um, Schindler's List. Artificial Intelligence. Oh, AI. AI. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, screenplay screenplay yeah finished screenplay but apparently Stanley Kubrick was writing a holocaust movie and it was depressing him and then Schindler's List came out and he said thank god I don't have to do it now yeah didn't have to do it now yeah um yeah so I mean look check oh, the, it sorry yeah, no no on. what no what were you gonna say we never just said the, the guy that's obsessed with sex oh yeah there's a and guy, he's just like it's all about sex it's all about sex and he's the guy who's most full of himself in the whole <laughs> he thing he loves it I'll give you one I'll, I'll give you one uh, he's like I'll give you one I'll, I'll educate you hey, once. Look, look, he's talking about it like he's giving them like golden nuggets of and insights. the second he gives you one he's like oh well I'll give you two, but the rest is in my book. It's all in my book. You know, you gotta check, my check out my book. L- listen, it's all there to see. I've outlined it all. But um, He's just completely obsessed with sex. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just saying about the, how the movie is all about sex. It's all about sex. I'd love to see figure out, like, I'd like to actually see his book, read his book, just to know how, like, the hedge is about sex, and especially at the end, I just, when I he's frozen. I feel like it's such a waste of time. They sneak a playgirl into the movie as well. Jack, That's great. Jack's reading a play girl when they come and uh, just before talk he to interviews him. for a job. Just before he no, it's his first day on the job. Oh, his first day in the job. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting there having eaten breakfast, reading a play girl. As you do. As you do. Um, but yeah, so check out Room Two Three Seven. It's an awesome watch. It is. It's actually really fun to watch. Yeah, and you know, um, uh, it's 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 something good to watch after you've seen the movie. Yeah, definitely. You know? And also, there's low, if after you watch it, you probably shouldn't check this out beforehand, mm-hmm. but you can find out loads of interviews with people who worked on the movie talking about how nonsensical some of the, some of the ideas are. Just debunking everything. Like, yeah. for example, the typewriter. You know, that it's a specifically chosen typewriter or whatever. It was it's, just convenient. It's a convenient one. It was one yeah. they had, you know. It's, I don't know. It's just, it, people see what they want to see, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's always an element of that in every movie. I'm burping so much. Um, we never talked about the moon landing. Oh, well, that's the famous one. That's, that's, the one. Fa- that's my favorite one. Yeah. That's, that's the, the one that one. I hope is real, even though I don't, I, I know. fully don't believe it. Well, I'll let you, well, apparently we, we, we touched on this briefly, but the entire movie, The Shining, is Stanley Kubrick telling us that he faked the moon landing. It's his confession. Yeah. And there's a great scene, the mm-hmm. Apollo 11 scene, where Danny is playing with his cars. It's mm-hmm. such an iconic scene, actually. Totally. And the ball just rolls to him. Mm-hmm. And he's got the Apollo 11 jumper on, and he stands up, and he walks to room 237. And what was, how, how, what the, was only, the logic? So the only capitalized letters on the room 237 are R-O-O-M. N and then the second O is it's number because it, it has room N-O as in room number yep. 237 and the, it's, there's a small O and the only words you can spell with those letter, letters are room <laughs> and N. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so no. moon room moon is what room, they think it is basically. and 237 could be the studio lot where that he, filmed he filmed it but then also they make the connection that there's approximately 
237,000 miles from Earth to the moon. To the moon. So this is another indication that Stanley Kubrick is confessing to all of us through the adaptation of of Stephen King's novel that he filmed the moon landing. Or maybe, maybe the hotel, the Timberline Hotel said, we have a room 217 and no one will want to stay in there if you shoot a horror movie in it. So maybe do a room that we don't have, like say 237. And maybe, and maybe, maybe, ironically, ironically, Room 217 mm-hmm. ended up being their most popular room. Popular room. Everyone wants to sleep there now. I I mean, I would. If I was staying there, I'd yeah. want to stay into room 217. 100%. Um, and they, they think the character, the former caretaker, and the fact that uh, Ullman looks like JFK is like JFK is the nice approach, trying to get him to film it. And then the other guy is like <laughs> the CIA or FBI, kind of keeping a watch on things, you know, making sure he does his job and everything. This only works for like three or four scenes in the movie you totally. know totally yeah what's all the rest of the nonsense then in between yeah um no look, wonder it makes no sense it's about the moon landing exactly listen it's a it's it's a famous theory i'm sure you've heard it before i heard it before but i never heard the exact details me neither and i actually enjoyed it i did enjoy it i did enjoy it it, it was one of the ones that was closer to winning me over especially though. when he said the two hundred twenty-seven thousand miles i was like oh that's fun yeah like they're finding more connections but i mean i don't think it's true i think no i think they landed on the moon in 1960 yeah. but uh and if they didn't i don't believe that stanley kubrick filmed it no. and also the he try to say that 2001 a space odyssey was him testing it's him doing test footage yeah what i love is him and then one of the most renowned films in the world is test footage test footage for a moon landing, <laughs> for a fake moon landing. i love that uh the guys like it and i've spoken to many people who filmed on this and they've said i have definitely discovered that this is the faking of the moon landing and i'm like you're you're you've gone too far down the rabbit hole and then another thing he says stanley kubrick you know he's just released 2001 a space odyssey he's mastered everything what more could he do except fake a moon landing fake a moon landing. it's like jesus christ also you got an englishman oh yeah to fake them so he he doesn't even Oh, I'm debunking it right now. Yeah. He doesn't even leave England. This is, Stanley Kubrick, we already covered that, that he won't leave England. So what, the fake moon landing, the fake American moon landing they, was filmed by an Englishman yeah. in England mm-hmm. and they just send over the tapes to America? Don't think so. Don't think those tapes ever went overseas. If it was fake, I think they'd keep it in-house. Yeah, exactly. It'd be an in-house thing. And uh, Spielberg did it. And Stanley Klu- Kubrick flying anywhere would be mysterious. Yes. Yeah, people would have picked up on that. Yeah, yeah Spielbergo would have been done it, you know? Yeah. Like in The Simpsons, you know? Where uh, Mr. Burns hires the most acclaimed director that they can, Steven Spielbergo. <laughs> yeah, he's a Mexican version. But, um, yeah, so anyway, check out Room 237. Uh, it's really cool. There's lots of great theories in yeah. it. It's a fun watch. It is, it is. Um, and don't go in thinking it's real, no. which I did, and then yeah. got very confused instantly and was like, what the f- what's going on and here don't watch the movie trying to make everything work because it won't it won't it really won't um, the last thing we want to kind of touch on is Doctor Sleep um, yes which I'm really excited for very excited for after all this f- watching this movie over and over again reading the books having read both books and everything I'm very excited for Doctor Sleep Mike Flanagan is directing mm-hmm. it Haunting of Hill House Gerald's Game great horror director amazing he yeah. did so well with Gerald's Game which is a Stanley um, Stephen King oh, Stephen King yeah. Stephen King would hate that he would, would hate made that, that mistake. Yeah, yeah. he would absolutely hate that he's gonna come to you tonight where just... I think Jack Nicholson would be like <laughs> yeah. you said Nicholas Cage how would Nicholas Cage react though 
I don't know. <laughs> you 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 don't know. You can't tell. With it him. depends what day. Yeah, it would. It depends how much money he has with the IRS. <laughs> yeah, whether the exactly. IRS is taking his other pyramid. He might rob me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, we found out it's, two, it's over two and a half hours long. And, you know, he's working with Stephen King, Mike Flanagan is, to try and make it a sequel to both the movie and the book. Which is so interesting. Really because interesting. Stephen King has been a little bit more hands-on on this one. Yeah. But at the same time, like he has to put his ego aside, which is... Most likely impossible. Most likely. Because, yeah, that's what Mike Flanagan's saying that the hardest thing about this making this movie yeah. is that he's juggling both. So it's going to be a sequel to the movie mm-hmm. and it 100% exists in the same move, cinematic universe yeah. as The Shining. That's what he has said. I imagine Stephen King for The Overlook Hotel will say that it's been abandoned because that, that, that'll be the closest he can get to having it blown up, you know? And it looks like, in the trailer, it looks like Danny revisits The Overlook Hotel. He's looking through the door. Yeah, the famous door. The here's yeah. Johnny door. I've read it, so I don't want to give away what happens. But yes, it does look like that from the trailer. Yeah, it does look like that from the trailer. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it does look like that. Um, no, yeah, it's. I'm very excited. Ewan McGregor is playing Danny. I love it. And apparently, Daniel Lloyd, the original actor for Danny, has a cameo in has the movie. Has a cameo, yes, which yeah. I love. And loads of people were giving out saying he should come back for it. The man is a teacher. Yeah, he hasn't acted. He's 47 the last time I checked. Yeah. So he hasn't acted in around 40 odd years. Yeah. You know, Look, give or take. Also, you know, just Ewan McGregor is an excellent fit. He's an excellent actor. I I love Ewan McGregor as an actor. Also trying to convince Warner Brothers to get this teacher who, I'm sorry, I don't know what he looks like now, but he's probably a bit overweight. He might not have the best hairline. Doesn't look well. Or have the million dollar smile no. that is Ewan McGregor. No. who's also a fantastic actor. Yeah. Who could pull it off, basically? Yeah, Rebecca Ferguson's in it. Yeah, sexy Rebecca Ferguson. Hopefully, she gets her legs out. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm obsessed with Rebecca Ferguson's after legs. After Mission Impossible, so oh my many. god! Listen, it keeps shoving them in my face. I'm yeah. gonna be obsessed by them. Of course, of course. What else? What, like, the I wo- agree with that logic. The woman has assets. It makes me feel less creepy. Yeah, and her character is a very sexually driven character. Mm-hmm. So. I'm excited to see what they do with that. I'm excited too. <laughs> no, it, but it, it'll be interesting because like I said, if The Shining, the book, leans in more than the film to the psychic element of it, Dr. Sleep relies on you buying into that. So I'm interested in how they're going to keep the ambiguity of the first movie and translate it over to Dr. Sleep because I don't think it'll work. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Mike Flanagan has said, he's gone on record to say it's going to be in the same vein as The Shining mm-hmm. when it comes to jump scares. Yeah. He's like, it's it's going to be more of a psychological yeah. uh, horror yeah. than, oh, there's a ghost, you know? Hopefully. Which is, it's great that this is one of the scariest horrors ever made. Totally. And it's so different than any horror ever made. It, no jump scare. No jump scares. No. Even like the most famous movies like Halloween mm-hmm. have jump scares. And Friday the uh, 13th. Yeah jump scares in those movies it's crazy and look a silent terror and you know quiet foreboding and everything is always better than the jump scare but uh yeah first reactions are in for doctor sleep it's meant to be really good it's hard to trust them because first reactions are always good movie it's like they're paid for batman v superman was apparently the greatest comic book movie ever oh my god and i had i had read that before i seen the rotten tomato score so i went in going this is gonna blow my mind wow you're a fool I know. Foolish I know. young boy. Remember when you were young, Ian, and you believed things like that? Yeah, I believe. I believed in nice things. Believe things. I believed in Zack Schneider. Oh, Jesus. Remember those days? The 300 Watchmen days? But, but I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Mike Flanagan is a 
perfect fit for this. Yeah, when's it come out, Doctor Sleep? It comes out this month, October, mm-hmm. and I think. Let me check because yeah. I know we get it actually a little bit early. Excellent. I think we get it on Wednesday, Halloween. Oh, excellent. Actually on Halloween, but I know it, it unravels a bit slower internationally. Yeah. I might go see it then on Wednesday. It'll be a great movie to see on Halloween. Yeah, I've no plans on doing anything on Halloween because I'm old now. You're not going to dress up as Danny? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I'm more. I'm closer to Jack now. Alcoholism and all that. Yeah, actually, yeah. true. That's why I wore the red jumper. I brought a Christmas kind of Danny style jumper with me and I decided it was terrible. So I put on this red one to try and emulate my hero. I enjoyed how terrible it Jack was. Jack Torrance. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to bring it out because it's so bad. My girlfriend told me not to wear it. And I went, no, no, it'll be funny. And then I got Did she here. actually say that? She, I showed it to her and she was like, why are you wearing that? It looks terrible. And I'm like, I know, but it'll be funny. And then I got here and I went, I'm not wearing that jumper. Um, Yeah. So do you have the release date there? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this special episode. Oh, sorry. Of Straight to uh, Serious. Yes, Oct- October 31st worldwide. But yeah, yeah, it says November 8th for the United States. Oh, that's so, weird. I don't know. We get it beforehand. Oh, I really want to see it now. Yeah, I re- oh, Man, I'm so engrossed yeah. in this movie. Yeah. I need to see it. I know. Even though I don't expect... It doesn't need to be great. It actually doesn't. Like, no. it's not going to... Unlike most sequels that can sometimes take away from the original, yeah, it's not made by Stanley Kubrick. Nobody's really returning cast-wise, you know. Yeah. I don't really mind. I don't. I don't Me really neither. mind if it's a bad movie. I'm like, ah, it's a shame. Yeah. If it's a, if it's really good, it, it will it'll be great. You yeah. know, be, I'll be so happy. Yeah. Um. Which is it's a win-win situation in, in a way. Totally. Totally. I'm on the. I'm the exactly the same. Same boat as you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for watching and listening to this. Special episode, Halloween spooktacular. Yeah, this maze-like episode. Yes, exactly. I'm telling you, it's it's a deep hole. We did not cover everything, so please, please, please look into it yourselves because it'll it's only it'll only get better for you, basically. Yeah, we're turning into the people in the documentary that we're mocking. Yeah, basically, we're we're just psychopath. we're going to be in the sequel. If you've seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia, this is similar to the Pepe Silvia scene. Yeah, you know, there was string all over these walls trying to put <laughs> yeah. things together, figure out what we were going to say. Oh. We're going to be in a documentary room 238. Yeah, 238. The yeah. sequel, and we're going to be like pulling our hair out. Yeah, yeah. It started as a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Ian's going to somehow end up younger than me. I'm going to be aged. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm sure it's about the porn industry in the yeah, 1970s. Exactly. I'm going to think it's about, I don't know, football or something. Something <laughs> football. Stone. For some reason, I'll find some reason to think it's about football. Well, you know, when Jack kicks that guy in the head. Yeah, he's throwing around a ball, a tennis ball, but it could be a football. It could be a football. <laughs> no, but uh, thank you very much for watching and listening we're uh we'll do a review of dr sleep when it comes out 100 percent. we maybe, have to maybe a spoiler review maybe a spoiler we'll review it. We'll depends how good it. it is if it's terrible like i don't need yeah to. yeah we, we might need spoiler even t- alert don't watch it yeah exactly you know? that'll be that'll be as in deep as the spoiler review does if yeah. it's uh if it's terrible but yeah uh thanks guys do your own investigating into the shining it's great fun have a good halloween and hopefully there'll be another special episode like this at christmas oh yes mm. it's a good one Quick tease, quick tease there. We're going to go out to the coast and have a few laughs. That's what we're going to do at Christmas. I don't get that connection. Okay. You can explain afterwards. I will. Goodbye, everyone. See you. Goodbye, everyone. Do your Jack Torrance there at the camera. Jack Torrance. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) You got to do impressions. That's enough.